Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Those of you joining us online, good morning to you. If you're on vacation and you're watching, bring me something back. (laughs) Don't, please. Anyway, Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 1. We'll take verses 8 through 15, hopefully. But we will stand and read verse 8. Romans chapter 1, verse 8 is what we're going to stand and read. So by the time you stand up, it'll be almost time to sit back down. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Please be seated. Told you. I hope I don't leave, leave, didn't leave my fight in the gym. I hope the sermon goes well, and you probably more than me. Anyway, <clears throat> eager, prepared, and available. That's the title of this morning's consideration, and I hope that comes out from the study. We go right to fir- verse 1. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Well, coming from a man like Paul, this is quite an observation, a substantial remark. Imagine if You lived in the days of Paul, and he wrote a letter to the church that you attended, and and, and the pastor read that from Paul to you. This was the case earlier with another church, the church in Thessalonica. That church, quite a remarkable beginning, Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and you became followers of us and the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Those folks got saved while they were being persecuted, and it did not take their joy from them. They continued to serve. And he continues there in 1 Thessalonians 1, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but Also, in every place, your faith towards God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. What a remarkable... I mean, who are these Christians? Are they still here today? Do we have churches and Christians like this? Of course we do. But we've got some rotten apples in the barrel also. And I guess, uh, what are we supposed to do with such information that the Bible exposes us to? What are we supposed to think when we come across these stories about the first Christians? Well, we're supposed to say, where am I in the picture? I think this is a question each Christian should search out before the Lord. What am I supposed to do with these things? What is my role? Why are you exposing me to this information? I came to church to, you know, for, for whatever reasons, hopefully the right reasons, and, and I hear this, what am I supposed to do with it? This raises a second question. And this question might sting some, might annoy others, but I believe it offers progress to all. What is the stuff a bad church is made of? It can only be one thing. Churches are made of people. Bad churches are made of people. Good churches are made of the people. What makes a good church are the people. The people of the New Testament are the church. 
When you get to the book of Revelation, Jesus takes up two, what we call two chapters talking about the people in seven different churches. Am I the stuff that a good church is made of? That's the question. I, I, the second question I think every Christian should ask themselves. What New Testament church would I come from? What New Testament church would I fit in with? Would I identify with? Would I like? Would I boast about belonging to? Am I always a drain on my church? Or at least sometimes maybe I generate blessings. Sometimes we, you know, life puts us in a spot where we, we are draining more than we are generating, and that's okay. But if that's all we've got, that my, that's a concern. But what church? Am I comfortable saying, oh, I go to the church at Laodicea? Well, that church made Christ sick. Well, I go to the church at Ephesus. They stopped loving the Lord. They're doing a lot of stuff. They just weren't loving him. And then, you know, Corinth, the, the loony bin of churches. And we have a lot of those around. The people are just driven by how they feel, never mind what the scripture's teaching them. Or, can I identify with Thessalonica? Or the church in Rome, Philippi, Philadelphia. There were good churches. But there were others that needed work. And that calls for me to say, who am I in this picture? Do I have the right stuff? The instant answer is, yes, you do. Will you draw from it? What will you do with it? Well, I'm going to bury mine. Or are you going to work it out? If you choose to work it out, you're going to take a lot of hits. But Christ says, I'll make it worth it. And by faith, you will serve knowing that is true. All Christians, all of us, run the risk of being so carnal and so unchristlike that we fail to gain any victories. Usually it's carnality, self-centeredness, instead of Christ-centeredness. Now, you older Christians, I mean you that, some of, that are older than me, which not getting harder and harder to do, I've noticed. I know that you older Christians that love the Lord, you better understand you are a blessing. Whether you grab a broom or mop or work in the kitchen, just being in formation, you are a blessing because you are a testimony that you are still standing, that it can be done, that you can still love the Lord Jesus, after all life has put you through, you're still here. I'll add to that, you older Christians, when you're not here, if you regularly attend and you miss a day, I notice. Your pastor notices. You are, don't, so don't at all sell what the short, what Christ does through your life by just being in formation. Again, because you are still standing and you will continue to stand till Christ calls you home. And may you younger Christians ask yourself, will I be still standing in formation when I get to my 70s and my 80s? Will I still be a follower of Jesus Christ? Because it does count. You got something to shoot for. I look at the young Christians and I say, boy, I'm glad I'm not young. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Let's talk about the church at Corinth, because there's so many lessons. Why did God have two letters to that church? It's so much information, such a benefit through their struggles, agonizing Paul. In Corinth, it was not their faith that stood out the most. It was their sloppiness. 
We're talking about the church at Rome. And Paul says, hey, let me tell you what stands out about you. You're reaching the world with a testimony to Christ. He said that about Thessalonica. He certainly could have said that about others. But to Corinth, let me read to you 1 Corinthians 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles. You're doing stuff that unbelievers don't do. And you're walking around boasting about it as though this is grace. Disobedience under the cloak of love is still disobedience. And is not a genuine love. And they weren't dealing with it. They did eventually. But because Paul said something. Had he not spoke up. They would have been worse than the church at Laodicea. The church at Corinth did largely recover. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Christ asked this question. What do you do more than others? And that's what Paul is saying. You're acting like unbelievers. You're acting like mere men. You're supposed to be more than this. You're capable. You have the right stuff. What are you going to do with it? Well, again, if, if this motivates you, stirs you to get into action or continue with some zeal, a pep in your step, be ready for the disappointments, the setbacks, the depression. Depression that you will stomp out by just doing your duty. Depression cannot stand a servant that does their job and tries to do it well. I am speaking from experience and observation. A Christian will love a good church unless they fall for the critic. And they're out there. The critic that sows the weeds in the Lord's work. In the Lord's field. They have no right, but they do this. And it's uh, interesting enough, critics don't like being criticized, which makes it fun to criticize them. <laughs> but you can't find them easily because they do not wear a placard. Uh, don't let that be you. Don't be the one that sits in the church and sours everybody. And don't be offended when you're told if you are sour and you want to sour anybody, why don't you just stay home? Don't be offended by that. What you should do is say, you know what? I'm going to fix this. By the Lord's help, I will fix it. And I will generate blessings instead of just draining them. Uh, sad, we've got to say this in God's house, but it must be said. This church in Rome noticed outside of Rome that they were Jesus lovers. Matthew Henry, who long centuries been dead, Wrote so much, so much commentary, too much to read. It's actually very boring. But every now and then, he comes up with these home runs. Uh, and, and not only that, I was, uh, liked, I was happy to hear that J. Vernon McGee thought he was boring too. But he had to admit, Matthew Henry was still a, a devout man of God. No, no question, as far as we know, as far as we could see. But he says this about this church in Rome, that who this letter is addressed to. The church at Rome was then a flourishing church. But since that time, how it is the gold become dim. The epistle to the Romans is now an epistle against the Romans. It's quite scathing, is it not? The 
Things that made you once great, a great blessing has now made you a great curse. Uh, oh, the place, not the things, the place, so what they've done with it. Uh, 2,000 years later, the church in Rome is no longer there. There is no church in Rome, not according to the scriptures. This isn't um, an unfounded result, uh, uh, insult, or not meant to be an insult, it's a fact. The difference between Roman Catholicism and Christianity is one has the scripture as their authority and the other does not. That's the big difference right there. And you can't just sprinkle a little Bible on it like it's, you know, parsley on a plate. It's got to be the main course. It is the star. Verse 9, still speaking to these Christians in Rome. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. That without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Well, the constant witness or lesson from scripture is that man exists as a living being in a body. And he is in possession of a soul. So this trichotomy or this inferior trinity of man. A saved Christian has a soul, has a body, and the spirit is alive in Christ. The unsaved have a soul, they have a body, but the spirit is dead. And it, it means everything. The soul is that part of you that deals with other people. That spirit is that part of you that deals with God, interacts with God. And the body, of course, is the vehicle. And so this, uh, when he says, For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit. That part of me that interacts with God. The word serve there in the Greek is not the usual ones we come across like slave or employee. This one is religious service. So what he's saying is, for God is my witness whom I serve in ministry. And not that he didn't serve all around, but that's just a choice of words that he chose from the Greek language. Paul prayed for them because the Holy Spirit helped him not to lose sight of them. And it's critical for praying. I mean, if, if you have to work to remember somebody to pray for, you're probably not being led to pray for that person. There are probably other fish to fry. Um, so usually, speaking of, from Scripture and anecdotally, uh, when I pray for someone, it's because God's put them on my heart. I can't tell you how many times he has validated that in a very real, very strong way. So, uh, you know, I will, I will sing with understanding and I will pray with understanding. We are not supposed to be uh, walking around confused about what our faith is. Confusion does not strengthen anyone. Uh, it is not an asset, it is a liability. Well, coming back to this, verse 10 now, making requests. If by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. <laughs> Here, Paul was praying to God to get him to Rome. It'd take almost four or five years before God finalizes that prayer. Some of you may have been praying for something in ministry, in, in the service of the king. And to, you know, we have prayers for ourselves, you know, whatever they may be. But then we have prayers in the work of the Lord. If, especially if you have been entrusted or if you're serving, you know, you, you may want, Lord, may we have more helpers, may we have better helpers, uh, uh, whatever the, the case may be in, in various churches. But that's how many years it took. 
there are complexities that are beyond our understanding. Why did it take so long? Why this? Why that? Those things are often beyond us. So we accept them by faith. The whole 11th chapter of Hebrews is telling you, when you can't get any more out of your understanding, you default to what you do understand, and that is the character of God and what His will is, and you do that, whether you like it or you don't like it. Now, motivational speakers can get up and tell things like that to their audience. You just got to plow through and all whatever they do. Well, how come God can't do that? Why can't God send us into harm's way? Generals can do that. We applaud the troops that go as heroes. Why can't God do that to his servants? He does do that to his servants. How will they respond? No one knew it would take a near-death experience for this man and misery along with it for this man and those band of Christians with him to get to Rome. But they did get there. And they remained not only eager, but they were prepared. Well, what good is it if you want to do something, but you're not qualified? And some Christians think that just because they're believers, they're qualified. Well, that's not true. Uh, Paul told Timothy, study to show yourself approved. Work who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God because there's a wrong way to do it. Profound lessons for all of us. They're right there on the surface, many of these. You don't always have to dig for the profound things from Scripture. And so they were, they were eager and they were prepared. I'll get a little bit ahead of myself. If you're eager to serve and you are capable, prepared to serving, but you're not available, then what good is it? Well, you know, we got Parcheesi night tonight, and I just can't get down to that church. Well, then your availability cancels out everything else. Something to think about. Uh, now, sometimes you just can't be available. That's where God has you. And the pastors will tell you that. Sometimes you may be going through something in life, and you need to sit for a while because this is where God has you, and it's not time for you to serve. You are eager, you are prepared, but your life has got you just in this space. And until that season is passed, that's where you need to be. Sometimes it may be an illness. Sometimes it can be something else. Anyway, in verse 10 he says, By some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Lord willing. That's, he adds that. Not enough, Paul. He, this is what he's saying. It's not enough that I want to come to you. What does God want? Well, he gets there, and we've covered this. The five S's of Paul's journey to Rome. The storm, the swords, the shipwreck, the snake bite, and the shackles. All of that. How many of us would have said, you know what? God's not leading me to Rome. He's, he's leading me to some resort where I where I don't have to face these things. And that's all, Acts chapter 20 to 28 is all about him getting to Rome. It starts out going to Jerusalem, and then that backfired. Well, at least on the surface it did. But the next verse here in Romans chapter 1 tells us why hell did not want Paul in the largest city of Western civilization. It was hell that got involved trying to keep him from Rome. In during that four-year span, from the time they got this letter to the time he gets there, four or five years, give or take. Verse 11, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. Well, hell wasn't going to stand for that. Tough. 
He got there. And hell had to suffer it. And people got saved. But what would have what what kind of stuff am I made of? Would I have gotten there? After all it took, the, the length of time, and time is like gravity. When you want something, it just pushes you down. It's too much gravity. Paul knew he had to physically get in front of the congregations. He had to be physically at those churches, interacting with the people, not hiding from them. This may also explain some of why he just couldn't sit in one place for any length of time. I mean, after a couple of years at the tops, he was ready to move to another church. And I don't think he's just a restless soul. I think he just was preoccupied with getting, getting, what, getting done what needed to be done. And if he's sitting in Antioch and the church is blessed there and he gets word that, well, there are some Christians in Troas and they're not doing so well, well, Paul's going to say, book me a ticket. And that's what he's going to be. He says that I may impart some spiritual gift. The very thing hell did not want coming from a man like this. What does this mean? That I may impart some spiritual gift. He wanted to strengthen the saved. These Christian people in Rome that he is writing to are saved people. This is not an evangelical letter. As perhaps Luke's gospel and the book of Acts. Oh, Theophilus, the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. You could, you could say, well, that's evangelical, evangelicalism in that. And this is a big point about this letter. And I don't want you to lose sight of this. It's not all about lost souls. Because if you just have saved souls who aren't strengthened, then what use are they going to be to lost souls in time? They're going, their faith will erode and become weird. It won't be what it's supposed to be. Romans chapter 15, he writes in the 29th verse, But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That kind of writing comes from the heart. That's not a, a, you know, a, an academic statement. This is what's coming out of the man. We started off this letter with understanding, Phoebe, you're going to Rome, let me send a letter with you. And then he just, a damn burst, and all this Christianity comes flowing out of a life that was dedicated to God. They needed more than salvation. They needed pastoring. And there have been a lot of churches that have put some effort into keeping pastors out of that church. Uh, because they always oh, the people thing. It's sort of the spirit of Dathan against Moses and Aaron. It just where does this stuff come from? Well, it's carnality. Well, so coming back to this, when he talks about some spiritual gift, he's not talking about the gifts of the spirit. I want to come there and pray, and you get learn how to speak tongues or something like that. He's not saying that. What he is saying is he wants to give them the gift of reinforcement and the gift of improvement. You could say those are gifts coming from, if someone can come into a church and breathe life into that church through encouragement and reinforcement of scriptural teaching, yeah, that's a gift. What would you call it? What, what else could it be? certainly isn't a curse. The believer is to keep the windmill oiled, but it is the Holy Spirit that turns the windmill. And this is the role of the Christian is to keep every, all the parts working so when the Holy Spirit moves, there are results. So that you may be established, he says. Now I'm going to get back to save souls in this letter in a, in a minute, but just looking at this verse 11, so that you may be established. 
this letter written to believers. When he gets to Rome, he writes what we have. We have four letters that he wrote from Rome, from jail in Rome. One of them is Colossians. And to the Colossians, while now in Rome, wanting to come to Rome four years earlier to impart some blessing, now he's there when he writes Colossians. And this is what he says. He tells them to be rooted and built up in, in Christ and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. He's going to say more to this church while he's still in chains. But that's where he starts out. He wanted to do this to the Roman believers, believers in Rome, and he's doing it to everybody else too. But for over 2,000 years since this letter has been in publication, many have come to Christ through this letter. Through the letter that was written to believers, unbelievers have become believers. A pastor doesn't have to stand in the pulpit and preach evangelical sermons every Sunday. He can systematically go through the scriptures and people will get saved. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. I happen to believe that. Preaching to believers will also make new believers. So we don't have to say, well, look, I'm going to take the meat off the plate because we want to get people saved. You can say it this way. You can do it this way. I'm going to keep the meat on the plate and that's going to build up the saved and it will Reach the lost. And it will also clobber a few of those carnal Christians that need to be encouraged through the rod of the word. The rod is the rule. Sometimes that rule comes down hard. Sometimes it comes with uh, just uh, inspiration through showing what you're missing. You know, if you, you clean... You move the refrigerator in the kitchen, and by contrast, you see how dirty your floor is, right? Well, sometimes the the preaching moves that refrigerator so you can see by contrast who you're not and who you can be. And you either scramble to get to work or you turn on the pastor. Well, uh, verse 12 now, that is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. So it is mutual. Now, younger Christians, this is an important word. If you have a good friend and you just love each other, you just, you know, you just work well together, that's mutual. That's a good thing, if it's in the midst of good things. But this is not only mutual, it is spiritual, and therefore it is special. And he is saying to them that um, they would be instructed by him And he would be inspired by them. That's a mutual blessing. Both parties get something. That's a bargain. How noble it is for this apostle to say that his faith was strengthened by their faith and theirs by his. He wasn't being overly modest. Well, you know, I can't bless anybody. That's nonsense. Stop it. Everybody can be a blessing. You just have to apply it. You can't just say, I'm saved, and it's going to happen automatic. There used to be a commercial where they, some floor cleaner, and the people would step on the floor, and this like little plate would be under their feet, and they'd glide across so they weren't even touching, effortlessly going across this newly polished floor 
Well, that ain't Christianity. It's really nothing, actually. But, but it ain't Christianity where you're just going to automatic pilot to your destination. Christianity has several things on it. Sweat and blood are part of it. Well, here this man, a glorious give and take in the service of the king. That's what he thought of these Christians. He said, you know, I can go there and bless them and I can be blessed myself. And he does. It's going to come out in his prison letters. We're going to get to those in a minute. But each of us helps or we hinder. Which is it going to be? You can't be neutral. You're either, uh uh-oh, or, hey, it's one of the two. Or or an emphatic warmth. So in the four or five years after this letter, when he does arrive there, I mentioned there were four letters we have from these days in jail. Three of them belong together, Colossians, Philemon, and Ephesians. They all went to the same neighborhood. But Philippians, the fourth letter, that is a different time in his jail stay. He went through the Ignatian Road, a different route in Greece. And so when he's, he said, I want to come and I want to bless you. Well, when he writes to the Philippians, he's telling them, God has made me the blessing. I am having fruit here now. He's answered my prayer. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. That is not only the shipwreck on Malta and, and that experience, but it's all the other junk he was putting up with, in, with Rome uh, and, and, and all the accusations. He continues, he says, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard, he's under arrest, and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Well, he's chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. And he's saving some of them. Uh, He's leading them to Christ. And this is what he means by the whole palace guard. More than one. And he continues. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now that doesn't mean you jam the gospel down someone's throat because I don't have any fear. I don't care what you think about me. (laughs) Repent. That's not being led by the Spirit. But when you are led by the Spirit, you don't choke. You, 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 you share it. You give it to them, just like it is. You're dirty before Christ. In fact, you're filthy before a holy God. He can cleanse you from that. But he won't if you do not come to him for that. One of the things about water baptism, you've got to walk down into the water. Nobody's you know, going to hoist you in. There may be an exception. But anyway, that's the only joke you're getting. Because you didn't appreciate that. Now, now vengeance is fine. <laughs> Verse 13. Keep this in mind, this whole Roman experience. I want to get there. I want to bless you. He gets there. At first it's not working, but then it does because we have that letter to the Philippians written from Rome. Uh, and you just see the life of this man. What kind of master does this man have that he's willing to be such a slave? It's not about Paul. It's about Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's trying to tell you. He's worth all this to me. We just happen to have more of biographical information about this particular servant. Verse 13. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you but was hindered until now. 
that I might have some fruit among you also just as among the other Gentiles. And I just read from Philippians where he did get that fruit in the palace guard. And then the Christians of the church in Rome who witnessed this stuff and said, man, if Paul can make lead people to Christ in jail, these hardened Roman uh, soldiers, then I can lead people to Christ. Don't you believe for one minute you can't. If you, if that's the voice of the devil if you hear that voice saying you, you, you're just not smart enough, you're not educated enough, you have a pastor that knows the word, that's very handsome, and uh, you just can't, don't even bother. Well, the part about don't even bother, that's the voice of the devil. The part about him being handsome is the voice of me. <laughs> so, now I don't really think that. Don't go thinking that, boy, you're pretty full of yourself. Well, we're all full of ourselves because we can't get anybody else in. But not in the sense that it's negative. Oh, that's the second joke. And and that's because I'm merciful. (laughs) Or cruel. I don't know. Anyway, verse 13. Back to verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware and brethren that I often plan to come to you. Now, he did not want them to doubt his zeal to get to them. So if you're in the church at Rome, in Rome and you're saying, man, Paul's going to Macedonia, Achaia, Corinth, Ephesus, uh, Asia. He's going all over the place, Jerusalem, but he won't come here. So uh, not that anybody was saying that, but he's preemptive. He's going to, because how else will they know? He said, I want to get, I've been trying to get to you. Now, God, there's, there's three things that go into keeping us from getting somewhere that we might want to go. And I'm going to use these experiences of Paul. The first one is, God may open a door in your life where he wants to leave you because there's progress, there's work there, and that's where he wants you. When you're saying, yeah, but I want to go to so-and-so, and God, I need you here. Well, to the Corinthians and He wrote, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Now, he's when he wrote 1 Corinthians, he's writing from Greece, Macedonia, Achaia. And uh, he's he's saying, I got this stuff happening here. There's a great effective door, and I I don't want to leave right now. In this letter to the Romans, he goes back to this subject, and he says, let me also circle around and tell you why I haven't gotten to you yet. Chapter 15, verse 20. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build another man's foundation. Oh, we have to stop there. This is a side note. There are Christians that have no problem building on another man's foundation. They'll, you know, I got this little Bible study, but nobody's coming. So I'm going to go find a church, and I'll steal people from that church that come to my Bible study. Uh, I have nothing to learn from somebody who pulls something like that. This is, this is, you know, Paul said, I go out of my way not to go where Peter has gone and Thomas. They're ministering there. Well, I'm not going to barge in and compete with that. I'm going to find where there is no preaching, and I'll make foundations there. And this is what he's saying to the, to the Roman church. He said, I've been out ministering when nobody's been preaching, and I haven't been able to get to you. You're saved, but there are others who are not. Then he continues in chapter 15. For this reason, now catch this part, also, there are other reasons. For this reason also, I have been much hindered from coming to you. So, the first one he is saying, God has opened doors, and I've got to go through these doors, I can't get to you. Then to the Colossian letter, that again, 
a jailhouse letter, one that did not go with the Philippian letter, but at a different time. He says to them, before the Philippian letter, he writes Colossians. And when he writes to the Colossians, he says, pray for me in Rome that I can have fruit, which we already read. He did get fruit. Well, here it is in Colossians 4. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the work to speak the mystery of Christ for which I also am in chains. So I'm reading that Colossian note to say the first reason why he could not get to them is because there's so much work where he was. He said, well, you took a long time to say that. <laughs> but the verses are so rich. So God answered that prayer that he meant, made to the Colossians, and he writes to Philippians about it. The second one is that God closes doors. You know, you're the eager beaver. I'm going to preach to those people. And God may be, I don't want you to preach to those people. And it's beyond you. The arrow is beyond you. Just do what you're told. Now, if you're in the military, you can appreciate that. But maybe some of the civilians have a problem when someone says, do what you're told. Take your orders. Some in the military have had that problem, too. And they get dishonorably discharged if they get caught. Anyway, coming back to this, God closes the door. Acts chapter 16. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Man, that's pretty heavy stuff. But that's what the Holy Spirit did. Uh, raise your hand if you would like to defy the Holy Spirit. Then the third one is the obvious one. Our common enemy, he hinders, such as ministry. All three of these, such as the life in Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, Paul got chased to Thessalonica with a beating on his back. He and Silas, they were caned in Philippi for preaching. They, they leave Philippi. They get chased out. Well, they, they have to leave. They come to Thessalonica. They, they have such fruit at this church. Then they get chased out of Thessalonica. Well, his heart is like, man, we just started the work. These are new Christians. So he writes the two Thessalonian letters. In the first one, he says to them, Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. Well, how did Satan do that? From what we know, there were those Jews in Thessalonica who soured some of the Gentiles, and together they chased Paul. He, you know, he goes to Berea, and then they chase him from Berea, and he ends up in Athens and Corinth. So, this uh, another reason why we get stopped from going forward in Christ is also sometimes the devil. You say, how am I going to know when these things are? Well, if you are walking in the Spirit, you will know. Uh, there are little signatures that belong to these. Uh, if, for instance, you're having a work and it's working well. And you say, I just can't leave these guys. I, I, this is where I belong. It's that conviction of the Spirit. And then there's other times you say, man, this isn't right. It's not biblical. Satan is interfering here. And what do you do when that happens? Well, you turn to Acts chapter 20 and read to chapter 28. You find out what Paul did. He survived the shipwreck and other things, and he, but he did make it. He says here in verse 13, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. He wants results. He's writing to Jews and Gentiles in this church. 
If pastors don't teach you the truth, the devil will teach you lies. That's a system God has put in place. The pastors did not come up with it. The pastor would have, he would have come up with something like, can you just leave me alone? I just want to relax. God puts the system in place. And that same has he put Moses and Aaron in place. And those who didn't like it, the ground swallowed them. And uh, so, you know, this, let's not repeat these silly mistakes. Results count. And when you're not having fruit, you are calling on the Lord of the harvest for fruit. Beware of heresy entering the church, as I mentioned earlier, under the cloak of love. The main role of the pastor is to preach the word, to feed the sheep. Peter, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Uh, Not as lords over them, but as one of the flock. Uh, this is a, what happens when Christians aren't taught from a pulpit. Well, they become the church at Laodicea. They become the church at Thyatira and Pergamos, infested with heresies. Uh, and where are those churches now? They're absolutely gone. Uh, you could say, well, some of the good ones are gone. No, actually, in those places in the world, there's still a remnant, in my understanding, last time I checked. Anyway, verse 14, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. The temptation is to think that the barbarians are these crude people. That is not the case. It's not even how it's meant. He says, I am a Jew and I preach to Gentiles also. I'm not caught up in this racial stuff. Uh, Oh, no one except love, he will write in in the 13th chapter. Anyone who is in Christ has the answer to the deepest human need. And that is salvation through God, the need for God. Now, the reckless and overzealous Christian will preach the gospel without the Spirit's leading. Who needs him? I'm going to jam this down your throat so I can show everybody I'm not afraid. Well, has the Lord led you to do this? Um, They probably say, verbalize, yes, but the... You'll know them by their fruits. You'll say, this person is just irritating everyone. Um, Maybe you've not met a Christian like that. Maybe you need to be in a bigger city longer. Uh, You'll find some of them there. Anyway, the less skilled Christian will feel guilty for not forcing the gospel on people. I should have said something. Why should you have said something? You think Paul just walked down the, 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 the... you know, Roman roads is jamming the gospel down people's throats? Of course not. As many as are the sons of God, these are led by the Spirit of God. However, if you're going to use that to excuse your laziness, that's not going to work either. You'll be stunted. Uh, you, you won't mature. You, 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 that's not a good thing. The seasoned saint will be led, will be active, will be free, and will be fruitful. That has been my experience. Sometimes there are gaps where there's no fruit, a lot of struggle, and then all of a sudden, God opens doors up uh, to have fruit. Uh, this, is, this is how it is. Unfortunately, sometimes even the seasoned saint has a sense of guilt. I'm not doing enough. Well, who is? Uh, who is doing enough? You look at the life of Paul, you say, man, I haven't even started these barbarians are native tribes who've opted out of the Greco-Roman culture. You know, they're not buying into that culture. And they were looked down upon by some. But that's what he means by, I, I have a debt to Gentiles. 
or the peoples of the, the, the ethnic peoples of the world and to those who are considered uncultured. I'm almost done, in case you're wondering. <laughs> those who have the treasure of the gospel are always scanning the horizon for someone to share the gospel with. You're always looking. Lord, is it this one? Is it that one? Uh, you know, maybe you've got family members that, you know, you've already been through this, and every time it comes up, you argue with them. Well, you kind of knock the dust off your feet with, on that issue. So, okay, I'm not going to bring this up. If God wants me to share it with you, he'll open that door later. But I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to avoid this because now wisdom is, is taking because some people just get, they, and they learn, especially with family members, because they think they have licenses that they don't have. They just enjoy irritating you. Um, I, I put my family for sale on eBay. And <laughs> no, of course, that'd be, but you laugh because you understand the difficulty of being close to people. If you look at Second Kings, now some of you have a wonderful family relationship and you're like, mm, that's not my family. Yeah, well, thank God. But it's not most people. Uh, most, well, a lot of people. I don't know how many. I never counted. But I know there are a lot of people that have family issues. Uh, you don't get to choose them. Uh, so anyhow, coming, coming back to this. In Second Kings, there's this illustration of doing the right thing with what God has given. The four lepers, the, in the days of Elisha, the prophet, they're in the city... Uh, Samaria, I believe it was, and and they're surrounded, they're, they're under siege, they're starving to death, and they say amongst themselves, look, if we stay here, we're going to die a slow death. Let's go to the Assyrians and we'll ask them for food. If they kill us, then we're just dead. So they go, and the Lord had already been there, and, and the Assyrian army fled in an instant, and they left all this food, an army's worth of food. And so they sit down and they're gorging. And in the midst of their gorging, the lights turn on. They have an epiphany. Second Kings 7, verse 9. Then they said to one another, what we, uh, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news, and we remain silent. He's saying there are people in the city starving to death, and we're gorging out here. we got to go tell them. And they did go do that. So uh, it's it, 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 not to lay guilt on anybody unless you've done something wrong. But the, the point that comes out of that little verse is that if you have the good stuff and you can share it, you, you better be sharing it. Uh, and there's a lot of ways we can do that. Verse 15. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. That means with all his might, as much as, in, as is in me. David, in preparing for the house of God, said, First Chronicles 29, Now for the house of my God I have prepared with all my might. You remember David danced before the ark with all of his might. He was a passionate man. Uh, sometimes, anyway, uh, Paul is saying, I'm, with all my might, I'm going to reach Rome. And that's just what it took. But what was behind all this might? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. This is the first commandment. And this is what we're seeing in action. We saw it in David. We saw it in Daniel. We see it in Paul. We see it in Nathaniel. It's all over the people of God. 
So Paul goes from indebtedness to readiness. I owe you, and I want to do something about it. He was a force in readiness. I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. The ever-ready man uses two distinct words in talking about his readiness. Here, the Greek word ready is eager. But if you look at Acts 21, verse 13, where he says, I'm ready to die in Jerusalem, that Greek word means prepared. So he is ready and he is prepared. And he was available all the time. You ask the Athenians, has Paul been through here? You ask the Ephesians, has Paul been through here? You ask any of those cities, has Paul been here? And they'll all tell you, yeah, and he wouldn't shut up. You're talking about Jesus, risen from the dead. And now we've got a church here competing with our, you know, people who used to burn incense to Zeus aren't doing that anymore. They're praying to this Christ. So, at the time that he wrote this letter, he had already been chased from cities, Thessalonica and others, stoned, caned, jailed, because he was prepared, he was eager, and he made himself available. Years earlier, he wrote to the Galatians, From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. What's on your body? What marks are on yours? Well, I got this one, you know, fishing. And I got that one, you know, sitting in my recliner and I fell out. And, uh, you know, uh, and I don't want to make a sound because God wants us to take time and relax and to enjoy those things. I'm not bad-mouthing them. But I am, I am saying such verses haunt me. Such verses make me say to myself, what's, here, you know what one of the marks I bear on my body is well, most of my life, before Christ, very physical, very athletic. And uh, one time I walked to London from Virginia. <laughs> uh, and I, I can't now. All my time is taken in, in the Word and writing notes and, and, and talking about you. It's called prayer. And I don't get to go to the gym or to work out like I want to. But I, I, I want to. But when am I going to find the time? If, if you see a bulk pastor, he's not studying. He's not in the Word. And if he is, he thinks he's a natural. And he might be, just not a spiritual. So I remember years ago at the pastor's conference, there was this one pastor. He's all buffed. Well, about five years later, he wasn't buffed anymore. Uh, you know, it just demands. It, it takes. And I, you, I, you bear it. What's the alternative? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll join a gymnasium. And Does anybody use the word gymnasium? I just did, and I'm proud of it. <laughs> I'll join a gymnasium, and that would take up three hours. Travel, workout, shower. You, you, I mean, you need to do that. Hygiene is important as a Christian. Read the book of Leviticus. <laughs> Anyhow. For him to bear these marks on his body, how great must his master have been for such absolute devotion? Yeah, the Bible challenges us. And there's so much mercy. God says, I know you can't. I know you can't be like Jeremiah. But I'll take 10%. And I'll use 100% of your 10%. And we'll get results. I'm telling you God does that. I know God does that. Because I know, I know the workers in the church. 
I know you're dynamos in Christ. Readiness does not come naturally. I think some Christians think that it does. They're just natural. You know, I got saved and now I'm going to go bless people. Will you stay at home? Um, anyway, <laughs> you better humble up. The ever-ready Christian is the minute man. Paul wrote to Timothy, preach the word, be ready. That's another Greek word. That one means stand, be available to stand. Preach the word, be ready all the time. In season and out of season. There are no other seasons. That's all of them. Eager, prepared, available to defeat Satan who entrenches himself in the souls of people. I'll close with this verse. As we got some questions to ask ourselves. Am I a generator or a drain? Am I the right stuff? What church would I belong in? The stuff that's in me. What church does it fit best with? Laodicea? Am I lukewarm about Christ? Or am I hot for Christ? Before I read this verse, if you've not opened your heart to Jesus Christ, and you're listening to me, you are being told very clearly, you're not coming to Christ is the work of a real Satan that hates your guts. And he'll flatter you, he'll deceive you, distract you, whatever he can. He'll delay you. Anything he can do to keep you from taking that first step. Never mind those little baby steps. Take the step. A full 30 inch step. Man up, woman up, and say, I know my Redeemer lives, and I shall see him. And it begins now. So he closed with this. Ephesians 6. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning, we pray that your Word does not return void. If my prayer is, Lord, that it brings forth much fruit and lasting fruit. Um, I'm not looking for little victories. I'll take them. But I want the big ones too. And there's no greater victory than to be part of the process to lead someone to continue serving in Christ or to come to you. So again, if if you have not opened your heart to Christ, you have a chance right now because it is God calling you. Paul addressed these Romans as those called to Christ. He's calling, and you don't have to answer. But if you want to answer, say this prayer. Don't be ashamed. You have nothing to be ashamed of because there's nothing wrong with Christ. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I do things that you have prohibited, things that are harmful to myself, to others, collectively, even to my society. And I ask you to receive me, to forgive me. I, I come to you, the only one that can take my sin away, the judgment of my sin. And I give my life to you right here, right now, without reserve, no more hesitation. I ask you to be my Lord and Savior, and that I would never be ashamed of you. Now, Father, we pray that anyone who might make this confession, whether watching online, or here in the sanctuary, or here in the church, when the invitation is given, come up, that they come up.
make their confession known. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.